Hey, I'm Nancy Cavey, National ERISA and Individual Disability Attorney. Welcome to Winning Isn't Easy. Before we get started today, I've got to give you a legal disclaimer. This podcast isn't legal advice, but nothing will prevent me from giving you an easy-to-understand overview of the disability insurance world, the games the disability insurance carriers play, and what you need to know to get the disability benefits you deserve. So off we go. Today, I'm going to be talking about medical proof that you need in order to justify and prove your long-term disability claim. And I'm going to be talking about four important things. First, having a supportive doctor as the key to getting your short and long-term disability benefits. Two, whether or not your disability carrier has to consider your subjective complaints of pain before denying your claim. And I'm going to give you some examples. I'm going to talk about why a financial analyst's long-term disability claim denial was upheld for lack of medical proof of ongoing disability. And lastly, I'm going to conclude with a lesson on what not to do when your doctor no longer supports your claim or won't comment on your ability to work. This is a really important topic because the lack of medical proof will doom your claim from the very beginning. Let's take a break before we come back to this exciting topic. Have you been robbed of your peace of mind from your disability insurance carrier? You owe it to yourself to get a copy of Robbed of Your Peace of Mind, which provides you with everything you need to know about the long-term disability claim process. Request your free copy of the book at kvlaw.com today. Welcome back to Winning Isn't Easy. Ready to get started? Let's talk about having a supportive doctor being the key to getting your short and long-term disability benefits. Look, when you file a claim for short and long-term disability benefits, you have the burden to prove that you're, I'm going to start this over. Okay. Okay. Ready? Welcome back to Winning Isn't Easy. Ready to get started? Having a supportive doctor is the key to getting your short and long-term disability benefits. When you file a claim for short and long-term disability benefits, you've got the burden to prove that you're disabled and unable to perform the material and substantial duties of your occupation, as those terms are defined by your policy. The way to prove this is with medical proof. The disability carrier or plan is going to get a copy of your medical records, and you need to know what those records say before you stop work and apply for your benefits. What do your medical records say about your symptoms, your functionality at home and work? What problems do you have with your work duties? Whether or not you've got problems with your employers, your diagnosis, your restrictions and limitations, your treatment plan and your response to that treatment plan, your attempts to work with accommodations or reduced hours, and whether you're exaggerating your problems. You also need to know one crucial fact, and that is, Does your doctor support your claim? And secondly, will they be willing to fill out forms for your disability claim? And if not, before you stop working and apply for benefits, you darn well better find another doctor who supports your claim and will be helping you do all that paperwork. Now, how do we help your doctor help you? I always want my clients to explain in writing to the doctor what the material and substantial duties are of their occupation and what problems they have doing those duties. Now, before you do that, you need to understand how your policy defines your occupation. Is it as your occupation is performed in the national economy, the local economy, for your employer, or the Dictionary of Occupational Titles? 
Once you know what your occupation is based on the policy, you should be outlining the material and substantial duties of your occupation. I think you should take a piece of paper and on the left-hand side of that piece of paper, write the first material duty, second, third, fourth, fifth, same way with the substantial duties. And after each one of those listed or bulleted items, you draw a line and you talk about the symptoms that you have that impact your ability to function. Give the doctor an example. So for example, you might have problems with migraine headaches that cause you visual difficulties looking at the computer screen. So you would say migraine headache, one, um, visual problems, draw a line and say, cannot look at computer screen, dash. If I look at computer screen more than 15 minutes when I have a migraine, I start vomiting. Got it? Why is that important? Because your doctor is going to be asked to complete these attending physician statement forms. Now, the statement, the attending physician statement forms don't always ask the right questions. So we want to supplement that APS form with the right questions. But clearly, clearly, you have to give your doctor a truthful uh, and complete explanation of your symptoms and your functionality and your job duties. And I think you should be doing that at every interval visit. In other words, you're going to give them a history of what your symptoms have been between each visit and examples of how those symptoms impact your functionality, either at work or at home. I think that helps the doctor uh, take a better history and helps them complete the attending physician statement forms. Now, I think there are some other ways you can help your doctor. Some doctors want your assistance in filling out the APS forms, and they may ask you to do them in draft. I have no problem with that, but if I'm representing you, I assure you I'm going to be looking at those really closely. You may want to take those to the doctor or set up an appointment and review them with with them uh, and see if they agree with those restrictions and limitations or difficulties. If they don't, then I think you got to talk it out. It's important that you and your doctor be on the same page. And if they don't find this helpful, ask the doctor how you can help them fill out the forms. The The issue here is to make sure your doctor has an adequate fund of information as to what your occupational duties are, your symptoms, how those symptoms impact your ability to function at work or home. And all of that's consistent in your medical records and consistent with your activity of daily living form. Let's talk about another issue. Does your disability carrier have to consider your subjective complaints? What happens if your doctor doesn't support your claim or won't support your claim anymore? You need to know the answers to these questions, and I'll take those on in our next session. But let's take a break first. Welcome back to Winning Isn't Easy. Let's answer the question, does a disability insurance carrier have to consider my subjective complaints of pain before they ultimately deny my claim? Now, there's no law that requires an employer to offer any type of benefits like group health benefits, life insurance, or pension. And the employer who decides to offer the benefits calls the shots. They get to decide what benefits to offer the eligibility requirements for those benefits, and what you have to prove to get those benefits. The details, the definitions in your ERISA disability policy or plan 
can make or break your case. So before you stop work and apply for your benefits or even appeal the denial or termination of your benefits, you must get out the disability policy or plan. You want to look at the definition of disability and whether there's an objective requirement of proof of disability. You have to objectively prove the diagnosis, objectively prove your restrictions and limitations, and objectively prove why you can't do the material and substantial duties of your occupation. And that's what Ms. Nassif should have done in her disability claim. Now, she had severe lumbar problems, and she applied for disability benefits because she had to lay down every 20 to 30 minutes, every hour, and that would help prevent her severe and disabling back pain. The carrier uh, for Aurora Healthcare paid 24 months of own occupation benefits based on an inability to do her own occupation. But guess what? After 24 months, the definition of disability changed from an inability to perform her own occupation to an inability to perform any occupation. And guess what? Aurora Health determined that she could perform sedentary work, and they denied her any occupation claim. Now, this case ended up in federal court in Wisconsin. And the judge had to decide whether or not the denial was arbitrary and capricious. So what did the judge do? The judge turned to the disability plan and started reading. And it said, if you become disabled, you will be required to furnish objective medical evidence, which supports your disability as often as the claim administrator requires. Your disability must be supported by current objective medical evidence. And guess what? The disability plan defined objective medical evidence. Are you ready for this definition? The definition was a measurably independently observable abnormality, which is uh, evidenced by one or more standard medical diagnostic procedures, including tests, clinical examinations, or procedures that support the presence of a disability or indicate a functional limitation. Not all tests or test results will meet the criteria of objective medical evidence. Self-reported symptoms are not considered objective, and they don't establish eligibility for benefits under this plan. Objective medical evidence may consist of records from your licensed physician, narrative reports, x-rays, and other medical records, and it has to correlate to clinical findings of disability. That's a mouthful, and that was an incredibly difficult standard for her to meet. The plan clearly states that self-reported symptoms of pain aren't objective and they don't establish eligibility for any occupation long-term disability benefits. Because there was no objective medical evidence that uh, corresponded to this definition, her subjective complaints of pain and dysfunction weren't enough to overcome the wrong, the, the claims denial. In fact, it wasn't wrong. It was right based on the terms of this definition. And you can see that how your policy defines um, disability and objective medical evidence can be the key to getting your benefits or it can blow up your disability claim. Got it? All right, let's take a break. Are you a professional with questions about your individual disability policy? You need the Disability Insurance Claim Survival Guide for Professionals. This book gives you a comprehensive understanding of your disability policy with tips and to-dos regarding your disability application that will assist you in submitting a winning disability application. 
This is one you won't want to miss. For the next 24 hours, we are giving away free copies of The Disability Insurance Claim Survival Guide for Professionals. Order yours today at disabilityclaimsforprofessionals.com. Welcome back to Winning Isn't Easy. We've been talking about the evidence that you need to establish your disability claim and your benefits. It's crucial that you have the necessary medical proof that's consistent with the policy terms and definitions. I'm going to give you an example of how this blew up and why a financial analyst's long-term disability claim denial was upheld with a lack of medical proof of ongoing disability. You have the burden of proof throughout the life of your claim that you meet the policy or plan definition of disability. Now, this proof is primarily medical proof, and it's in the form generally of objective medical evidence of a diagnosis, objective evidence of restrictions and limitations, and objective evidence that the restrictions and limitations prevent you from performing the material and substantial duties of your occupation or any occupation, depending on what stage of the case you're at. The disability carrier is going to ask your treating physician to complete an attending physician statement form. And generally, you'll see that the APS form doesn't ask the right questions about your medical condition or the right questions about your restrictions and limitations. But nonetheless, you still have the burden of proof. Now, ideally, you should be represented by an attorney such as myself. And you want to supplement the APS form with other documents. What do I mean by that? I'm a social security disability attorney, and I will always supplement the APS form, the carrier's APS form that asks the wrong questions with an appropriate social security residual functional capacity form. I want the doctor to ask the, answer the right questions about your restrictions and limitations based on your specific medical condition. But the starting point here is what are your occupational duties? Because we have to prove that you can't do the material and substantial duties of your occupation as that's defined by the policy. And we want your doctor to understand what your occupation is as defined by the policy. And we want the doctor to address your medical condition and the right restrictions and limitations being asked the right questions about those particular problems. And ultimately, we want the doctor to support your claim. Now, that can be problematic because your doctor may retire um, leave the practice, or your doctor may simply say, I'm sick and tired of filling out these forms. Or worse yet, the doctor may say, I don't support your claim anymore. So let me give you an example of two cases with the same problem. I call it trouble in paradise. The first is the case of Cloncar versus Hartford Life. And Cloncar had been a financial analysis for Robert Bosch Steering LLC, and he stopped working because of a stroke. Now, his occupation had a high degree of cognitive functioning that clearly could be impaired by a stroke. He was paid short and long-term disability benefits, but over time, his physicians no longer supported his claim. In fact, some refused to fill out APS forms, and only one of them remained of the opinion he could not perform the material and substantial duties of his occupation. Now, the other case is the case of Mr. Bustetter. Uh, Bustetter was a tank driver, a tank truck driver, and he developed uh, transverse mellitus, which is an inflammatory disorder of the spinal cord. He had numbness and tingling of his legs. As a result, 
he was paid his own occupation benefits. But when his definition of disability changed to an inability to perform any occupation, it turned out that none of his physicians or therapists felt that he was unable to perform uh, the material and substantial duties of any occupation. And as a result, he's, his claim was denied and he filed a lawsuit. Both of these cases ended up in uh, court with federal judges who were looking at the medical records and looking for support of the restrictions and limitations, because ultimately the judge has to apply what's called an abuse of discretion standard, unless there's a de novo standard of review. The abuse of standard uh, review basically says that the judge has to accept the uh, denial or termination of benefits unless that denial or termination was unreasonable. If your physicians don't support your claim, or if your physicians indicate that you're capable of working in some capacity, clearly you don't have the medical proof to establish that you're unable to perform the material and substantial duties of either your own or any occupation. And as a result, this lack of medical support in both cases uh, was fatal. It takes teamwork to win an ERISA disability claim, and you can lose your case when your physicians let you down. But as I've explained in earlier episodes, uh, there are ways to get physicians to cooperate, and there are ways to find other physicians who can support your claim. So just because your doctor doesn't support your claim anymore doesn't mean your case is lost, but you really do need the assistance of an experienced disability attorney on the team to help develop the necessary medical proof to help you continue to get or get the disability benefits you deserve. We don't want trouble in paradise, right? Okay, let's take a break. Welcome back to Winning Isn't Easy. I'm going to give you a lesson on what not to do when your doctor says, I don't support your claim anymore, or they won't comment on your ability to work with suggestions about what it is you need to do. Now, when the disability insurance carrier accepts your claim, they put it on diary and they will want you to have your physician complete on a regular basis, attending physician statement forms. These forms are going to ask your doctor to comment on your restrictions, limitations, and your ability to work. If your doctor says, I don't want any part of this disability process, I'm tired of filling out forms, or I don't think you're disabled, you're in trouble and you're going to be set up for a claims denial. I want to tell you the story of Mr. Messing, who lived up to his name and messed up his disability claim big time when his doctors would no longer comment on his ability to work. Now, the lack of medical support will doom your ERISA disability claim. And in Messing's case, he claimed in 1998 he was disabled because of depression. He said he was unable to handle the stress of being a trial lawyer. Unum accepted that claim and they paid benefits until 2018. And at that point, they said, I think you're able to work as a lawyer. And they terminated his benefits. Now, his treating physician had opined in 2017 that he was unable to work. But by 2018, the same psychiatrist refused to express an opinion as to his ability to work. Now, you, just like Messing, have the burden to prove that you meet the definition of disability. Now, despite the fact that Messing was a trial lawyer, he screwed it up. 
he didn't find a new provider to treat with, and he didn't have any medical provider to confirm his inability to work as a lawyer. So what did Unum do? They pulled out one of their key tools from their disability denial uh, toolbox. They requested an insurance medical evaluation. Now, disability carriers will call it an independent medical evaluation. That's bull. There's nothing independent about an insurance medical evaluation. As expected, the insurance medical evaluation doctor opined that Messing could work as a trial lawyer and that his depression was in remission. As a result, his benefits were terminated and Messing ultimately filed a lawsuit. But here's the problem. The IME won the day. When Messing submitted a rebuttal report to counter the IME, the report was long on conclusions, but short on a factual or medical basis. The rebuttal opinion that he obtained just didn't explain the factual basis for why he couldn't work as a a trial attorney. Didn't talk about the problems that he had with depression or anxiety, the frequency of his depression or anxiety, how he would have panic attacks, how he would have difficulty interacting with others in his own family, how he isolated himself, how he would deal with stressful situations. None of those factual bits of information were, were ever developed. And, you know, worse yet, uh, there was no medical explanation as to why he couldn't work as a trial attorney. So there was no connection or, or there was no development of the symptoms. And ultimately, there was no connection between the symptoms and his inability to do his occupational duties as a trial lawyer. So you would have hoped that that rebuttal letter would have gone through the material and substantial duties of his occupation as a trial lawyer and explain why isolating oneself or not really caring about what happened in a case or the fact that he would have panic attacks a couple times a day that lasted 20 to 30 minutes might actually interfere with his ability to be a trial lawyer. So as a result, the judge had no choice but to accept the liar for hire not so independent medical evaluation. That isn't to say that Messing shouldn't have submitted a rebuttal report, but the quality of report of the report and the lack of support just doomed this claim. So what are the practical lessons that you need to learn here? The first lesson is if your doctor no longer supports your claim or refuses to render an opinion, you got to find a new doctor immediately. Got it? Number two. If you're set up for a insurance medical evaluation, you darn well better get your own and you darn well better have your own IME doctor review the testing, if any, that the carrier IME has you undergo. Next, you want to have your IME doctor write a strong factually and medically supported rebuttal point by point. And hopefully your new doctor will endorse the opinion of your um, IME doctor. And lastly, Don't leave any weasel room in that rebuttal. You've got the burden of proof. You've got the burden of proof and meet the burden of proof to get your disability benefits. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of Winning Isn't Easy. If you've enjoyed this episode, consider liking our page, leaving a review and sharing it with your friends or family. And I would love it if you would subscribe to this podcast. Now, I also, before I close, want to tell you, that we have just launched our 2022 KV Law Scholarship. It's up and running. It is open until August, and I want you to go over to kvlaw.com slash scholarships and enter. 
enter your family or or friends or uh, kids that you know that are looking for a college scholarship. Obviously, they're going to be having to complete the application, uh, but I would urge you to get involved in the scholarship opportunity. I hope you tune in next week for another insightful episode of Winning Isn't Easy, and I look forward to reading the essays of people that you suggest apply for our scholarship. Thanks. Thank you.